Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for standing by, and welcome to the first quarter 2020 Carlytics, Inc. earnings conference call. At this time, all participant lines are in a listen-only mode. After the speaker's presentation, there will be a question and answer session. To ask a question during the session, you will need to press star than one on your telephone. Please be advised that today's conference is being recorded. If you require any further assistance, please press star than zero. I would now like to hand the conference over to your speaker today, Kirk Somers, Chief Legal and Privacy Officer. Please go ahead. Good evening, and welcome to Cardlytics' first quarter 2020 financial results call. Before we begin, let me remind everyone that today's discussion will contain forward-looking statements based on our current assumptions, expectations, and beliefs, including expectations about future financial performance or results, the anticipated impact of our key priorities on driving growth, the timing of the rollout of Wells Fargo, growth in FIMAUs, or monthly active users, future ARPU, or average revenue per user, expectations regarding adding new marketers and increasing marketer spend in 2020, the timing and evolution of our platform to provide self-service, the impact of COVID-19 on our business and the economy as a whole, the impact of our rise, retain, and return strategy, and the sufficiency of our capital structure. For a discussion of the specific risk factors that could cause our actual results to differ materially from today's discussion, please refer to the risk factors section of the company's 10Q for the quarter ended March 31, 2020, that we filed earlier today and in subsequent periodic reports that we file with the Securities and Exchange Commission. Also during this call, we will discuss non-GAAP measures of our performance. GAAP financial reconciliations and supplemental financial information are provided in the press release issued today and the 8K that has been filed with the SEC. Today's call is available via webcast, and a replay will be available for two weeks. You can find all the information I've just described on the Investor Relations section of Carlytics' website. Please note that a supplemental presentation to our first quarter of results has also been posted to our Investor Relations website. Joining us on the call today is Carlytics' leadership team, including CEO and co-founder Scott Grimes, COO and co-founder Lynn Lobby, and CFO Andy Christensen. Following their prepared remarks, we'll open the call to your questions. With that, let me turn the call over to Scott Grimes, Carlytics CEO and co-founder. Scott? Thanks, Kirk, and thank you to everyone for joining us on our first quarter 2020 earnings conference call. First, we want to acknowledge that the past few months have presented unprecedented challenges around the world and in the global economy. Our hearts go out to those affected, and Cardlytics has been doing its part to help ensure the health and safety of our employees and community. 100% of the company has been working from home since early March. I am proud of our team for adapting to, the, to this evolving situation by maintaining business continuity and moving this forward to reach our goals. And of course, this is a particularly difficult time as a marketing company. One of our real strengths as a digital channel is our ability to drive customers into brick-and-mortar stores and restaurants. Additionally, our ability to find premium travelers and reach them via digital banking provides a powerful marketing tool for the travel vertical. With much of the U.S. and U.K. in lockdown, consumer spending in our key verticals has been dramatically reduced, and billings from these verticals are down in a similar way. But our team remains positive about the future, 
And despite the difficult nature of this crisis for our advertising partners, we have seen encouraging signs in the business. Spending in these verticals is improving relative to April. We are working closely with many marketers across all of our verticals to plan how we can help them restart their businesses. We can do this uniquely well due to the nature of our channel, our rich data set, and our ability to provide an immediate and profitable return on marketing investments. We're also excited about new client opportunities that have arisen from the rapid disruption in our economy. Lynn will describe our rise, retain, and return strategy in more detail. Now, let's review first quarter results. We delivered a solid first quarter with billings, revenue, and adjusted contribution in the upper half of our prior guidance. Here are some of the highlights. Total billings for the first quarter were $67.8 million, an increase of 16% year over year. Total revenue, which is equal to billings net of consumer incentives, was $45.5 million, up 26%. Adjusted contribution was $20.4 million, growing 16% year over year. In the first quarter, we continued to grow the reach of our platform. We increased our average FIMAUs to $140.8 million, a 6% increase from the quarter and 30% from Q1 2019. As we announced in our Q4 earnings call, on May 15, 2020, my co-founder, Lynn Lobby, will assume the role of CEO. Our team, our partners, and our board are all excited for Lynn to drive the next wave of growth. And she has done an exceptional job of keeping the company performing at a high level during this unprecedented environment we are in. I will continue to be closely involved with the company as executive chairman, where I'll be focusing on leading our board of directors, driving strategy and innovation, and supporting Lynn and Carlytics in any way I can. I'll now hand the call over to Lynn to provide greater detail on what we're seeing in our business. Lynn? Thanks, Scott. While we are disappointed with the impact the global pandemic is having on our business, we see opportunity as we help our advertising partners through this environment. Our key long-term priorities of increasing the number of marketers working with us, bringing our solution to new industries, evolving the Cardlytics platform, and continuing to demonstrate operating leverage in our business still remain. Today, I would like to focus on how we're helping our advertising clients navigate these extraordinary times. From the beginning, our business has been about driving commerce, and with clients facing severe swings in spend, both up and down, the value of purchase intelligence and our ability to reach the right consumer with cashback rewards is more important than it has ever been. We have a three-pronged strategy in place designed to help all of our clients during the COVID-19 crisis, what we call rise, retain, and return. First, there are industries that have experienced a rise in category spending, such as home fitness, home entertainment and streaming, meal prep and delivery, and direct-to-consumer e-com. Other industries are experiencing a rise in online spending, including groceries, pet supplies, office supplies, sporting goods, and beauty. For all of these clients, we're providing a highly effective platform to acquire new customers and capture incremental spend. Second, we're working hard with brands who have experienced a boost in spend to help them retain the enormous amount of new customers they've just acquired. We are very good at changing purchase behavior. Retail and grocery, in particular, have an opportunity to drive repeat behavior among their new customer base so they stay with them even when the pandemic ends. And third, for those advertisers who have been hit hard by drops in consumer spend and have paused their marketing, we are using our analytics to help them understand when and where spend may be coming back. We believe we're well-positioned to be these clients first back in as they return to us when they resume marketing spend. Here are a few examples. Consumers are spending more on industries such as e-com and digital entertainment as a whole. 
We've used our RISE strategy to address this spend for a major telco company, helping them to attract new customers during the pandemic. We drove 10% of all incremental subs for one of their programs in Q1 using our platform. We continue to grow our relationship with this important client by helping them bring in and then retain new customers. For clients whose focus is retaining their newly acquired customers, we're helping them defend their customer share gains. By using our spend dashboard, we're helping a major online grocery player focus on last, one-time, and light shoppers in regions where operations have begun to stabilize. Each week, we expand targeting to include designated marketing areas that move to the stable list. Finally, for our clients who have been hit particularly hard by the pandemic, we're providing supports with insights, flexibility, and campaigns that reach consumers still spending in their category. One of our larger clients paused all of their marketing spend at the end of Q1, except for some of the campaigns they run with us. By targeting only consumers actively spending in their category, our client is still able to provide bank rewards that give consumers the savings they need right now in a way that doesn't set a dangerous precedent by encouraging consumers to go out of their home if they weren't already going. And despite the spend declines in travel, hospitality, and many retail sectors, we continue to work hard to be good business partners to these clients so they'll be prepared to come out of the other side of this pandemic as well as they can. We continue to move fast on the evolution of our platform. While it's challenging building new capabilities from home, the team has embraced a number of new tools and practices, and we are confident we will deliver a basic version of our self-service by Q3, providing new tools and capabilities for our sales team and betas for agencies. Moving to the bank side of our business, we moved forward as planned on our Wells Fargo launch, which is more than halfway complete, and we continue to expect to reach 150 million FIMAUs in Q2. As we've said on prior calls, we believe this scale places us on equal footing with other major U.S. advertising platforms and provides a highly differentiated solution for marketers. We also recently announced a new five-year agreement with U.S. Bank to begin a phase launch for its customers. Despite the challenging economic environment, I am looking forward to taking over as CEO on May 15th and continuing to reach the goals that Scott and I set forth when we started this company. We are very glad to be able to help our advertising clients during these challenging times and are equally grateful that we can help our bank partners provide targeted rewards and savings that customers need. With that, I will turn it over to Andy. Thanks, Lynn. First off, it's a pleasure to join the conversation and help share our unique story. And I'm very excited to continue contributing to the growth trajectory of Cardlytics in my new role. As Scott mentioned, we delivered solid first quarter results that were consistent with the guidance we provided everyone in March. But I first want to talk about our liquidity is that is top of mind for many of our investors. Then I can cover Q1 results and discuss our approach to guidance. We're comfortable that our current capitalization and liquidity will provide us the financial flexibility to fully weather the economic downturn triggered by COVID-19 and continue with some prudent strategic investments. We ended the quarter with $102.2 million in cash compared to $104.5 million in cash at the end of Q4. We also continue to have access to our undrawn AR facility, which had a total availability of $40 million as of March 31st. While there's a lot of near-term uncertainty, we're focused on achieving our long-term operational and financial goals and remain optimistic about seizing the opportunities in front of us. Before I dive into the numbers, I wanted to give everyone on the call a clear picture of how the quarter unfolded. The economic disruption caused by COVID-19 has been challenging for many of our customers and you can clearly see the impact in our results. 
For example, year-over-year billings growth was 12% in January, 32% in February, and then declined to 5% growth in March, as we saw consumer spending drop precipitously as the nation closed its doors. We saw further deterioration of our consumer spending and our billings in April, and we expect to see the effects of COVID-19 in our results over the coming months. We are hopeful to see a measured bounce back as the world begins to reopen. For the quarter, billings increased 16% year-over-year to $67.8 million, and revenue increased 26% year-over-year to $45.5 million. Our U.S. revenue was up 28% year-over-year in Q1, and our U.K. revenue grew 18%. Adjusted contribution was $20.4 million in the first quarter, up 16% from the first quarter of 2019. Adjusted EBITDA was negative $4 million in the quarter, compared to negative $3.2 million in Q1 of 2019, reflecting the revenue softness in the back half of March. As noted, we are continuing to invest in our business through the pandemic, which, alongside with the effects of the crisis, may cause fluctuations in our EBITDA over the coming quarters. ARPU during the first quarter was $0.32, cents, down 3% year-over-year, primarily reflecting the 30% increase in MAUs stemming from growth at Chase and the Wells Fargo launch. Average MAUs grew from $108.5 million in the first quarter of 2019 to $140.8 million in the first quarter of 2020. We'd like to note, as we did last quarter, that ARPU will likely experience some pressure this year due to our MAU growth. And as a reminder, we think that MAU growth typically precedes our top-line growth. Consistent with our recent commentary, we expect MAUs to grow to $150 million once we've fully launched Wells Fargo. And as Lynn mentioned, this is on track to be completed in the second quarter. We expect some additional MAU growth through the rest of the year from the natural maturation of our platform, our ongoing efforts with FI partners, and continued adoption of digital banking. We had 26.8 million shares outstanding at the end of Q1. Weighted average shares outstanding during the quarter was 26.7 million, which compares to weighted average shares outstanding of 22.5 million during Q1 of 2019. Now on to guidance. Given the unprecedented nature of this global health crisis and its effect on both consumer spending and our advertising partners' budgets, we're unable to predict the effects on our business. We're therefore not providing Q2 guidance and are suspending our full year guidance until we have more visibility into the overall health of the economy. The best direction we can provide at this time is that we saw about a 50% year-over-year decline in billings and revenue in April. But we expect our billings will increase as consumer spending returns and marketers work to restart their businesses. Echoing Scott and Lynn, we are proud of our employees and the response to these difficult times. Despite the challenging environment, we are encouraged by the progress of our business and continue to focus on achieving our long-term goals. We're all looking forward to the economy beginning to reopen and the eventual economic recovery. With that, I'll hand it back to Scott for his closing remarks before we open the call for questions. Scott? Thanks, Andy. Q1 was a solid but difficult quarter. We have never been more excited about our opportunities for growth and feel we have strong momentum despite the global healthcare crisis. We are cautiously optimistic that we are through the worst part of the crisis but we have plans in place to address any scenario. You know, founding the company with Lynn 12 years ago and bringing the company to the point where it is has been one of the greatest honors of my life. Since this is my last earnings call as CEO, 
I want to thank all of the clients, partners, and investors who believed in us. We couldn't have done it without you. I'm really excited about where Lynn and the team will bring the company going forward. Lynn and I are proud of our team's response in the workplace and the community, and we continue to remain focused on their health and well-being. With that, I'll open up the call for your questions. Thank you. As a reminder to ask a question, you would need to press star then one on your telephone. To withdraw your question, please press the pound key. Again, that is star then one if you would like to ask a question. Our first question comes from the line of Doug Anmuth with J.P. Morgan. Your line is now open. Great. Thanks for taking the questions. Um, I have two. First, just on the more recent color, uh, you talked about March up 5%, but then obviously the significant deterioration in April to down 50 can you just help us understand uh, where you are now, kind of off of that April trough uh, as you as we're in the uh, first half of May? And then um, second, you talked about the analytics dashboard um, that you rolled out. Just curious um, if you could elaborate a little bit how you're using that for customers, how much insight you're able to give them on a near real-time basis, uh, given your views into bank and card spending. Thanks. Hey, Doug, it's Lynn. I'm going to take the dashboard part of the question, and then I'll let Andy give you any additional color I can give you on May. Um, so the dashboard we actually developed a good six, seven weeks ago. It is a, while it lagged a couple of days, it is a real-time on a daily basis dashboard where we are tracking at the geographic level where spend is down and up at the very detailed category level. And so it's not a dashboard that we widely send to any given client but we're using it to engage all of our clients, whether they're in the rise, retain, or return buckets, to help them understand what's happening in specific markets, what's happening with consumers who are still going out and spending in stores, what's happening with consumers who are spending online, what's happening with their overall spend relative to the vertical in any particular area. So it has been, you know, we've always talked about the power of purchase intelligence, and if there was ever a time that the power was really shining, it's now. We're engaging with all of our customers, even if they're not spending with us, because we're helping them understand what's happening, and it's why we firmly believe we're going to be first back in for many of them, because we can spot at a very granular level where they should be spending. So it's a really cool dashboard. Happy to send you some examples of it, um, and I'm even happy to use it to help answer some other questions potentially. Uh, but with that, I'll turn it over to Andy to talk more about May. Yeah, thanks, Lynn. Um, you know, April is pretty severely impacted by the initial reaction of the crisis. Um, consumer spending dropped pretty significantly starting in March. And then we had you know, quite a few advertisers pulling budgets across, really across a lot of their channels. Um, and then late May, right, tried to, to really kind of reassess uh, their, their strategy. Um, so, so April was, was definitely a, a, tough, a tough month. Um, you know, our data has lagged about two weeks. But we have seen consumer spending stabilize since that kind of initial shock. Um, and, you know, the, the shape of the recovery and the, uh, is really going to be similar to how we recover. Um, you know, we're not providing any further guidance on Q2, especially May. Um, but, you know, what, what I'll say is our billings will be depressed basically so long as we see depressed spend and businesses remain closed. Uh, but, but many states have started to reopen. Um, and we, we expect business to pick up in, in, the back, in the back half as that happens. Yeah, and just to put more color to Andy's commentary, we do see in early indications of spend coming back. 
And he is absolutely right. When the spend comes back, the advertisers come back. And as I mentioned, I think we're well positioned to be first back in because we can call every advertiser we have and say, the spend is coming back. It's coming mm-hmm. back in these markets, and you should be on top of it. Yeah, you know what's interesting? In um, our Q1 guidance, one of the reasons we were conservative was we saw spending beginning to drop in the early markets like Hawaii and Seattle, uh, and, and that's what made us nervous about what was happening in March. The same way I think we're seeing we have good visibility about maybe what's going to happen as we go into the recovery. And, and one of the things that, that we're able to do so well, too, is see the spend, right, is that we see where, where the spend is strong and where it's going and can adjust and pivot um, because we see it, right? And so as we see the spend uh, move around between different industries, um, as we see the spend recover in, um, you know, areas that have been historical strengths, you know, we're, we're trying to position to be there at those right times. Great. Thank you. Appreciate the caller. Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of Yusuf Squall with SunTrust. Your line is not open. Hi, this is uh, Sagar on for Yusuf. Um, two questions, if I may. One, will the change environment have any effects on the dynamics between the consumer incentives and FI share? And then two, can you expand on any vertical or industry exposure um, last quarter, I remember there was discussion around refunds with specific uh, travel advertisers. Uh, just wondering if we get an update on that as well. Thanks. Sure. Hey, this is Andy. Um, no, we're, we're not expecting any significant changes in the relationships between, uh, you know, our billings, our revenue, adjusted contribution. You know, we, we expect that, you know, what you've seen, um, you know, historically is, is what, you know, we're, we're kind of forecasting ourselves, you know, moving forward. Um, now, I don't know. We, we Now, we did see, obviously, when you look back Q1 of 20 compared to Q1 of 19, you know, you will see, obviously, a little bit of noise because of the ECI. So, it's just a reminder that ECI, those investments of enhancing consumer incentives that were made back in last year, you know, really uh, was a increase in our incentives and a reduction in our FI share. Um, but that has really been kind of that one period where we saw a large spike. Uh, but sequentially, the last several quarters, um, you know, we've, we've been relatively stable there. And then the question about billings release. The, the I can take that one as well, sure. Um, yeah, we, we actually have uh, not uh, engaged in any material, uh, you know, uh, billings uh, relief for our clients. Obviously, we work very closely with them to make sure that, um, you know, we're providing them the, the – the necessary return for their business, uh, but we haven't seen any material uh, activities there. Okay, thanks. And is there any other color on just uh, vertical or industry exposure? I know it's been a little bit of time since uh, you guys have given some color on that as well. Sure. Um, you know, I, I think historically, right, we, we all kind of know that retail and restaurant have really been uh, the, the biggest uh, industries that we serve um, obviously, we've, we've seen a lot of newer verticals, um, new industries where we have moved into, like uh, direct-to-consumer, e-commerce, travel. Um, and so we have, you know, gained additional exposure to, to other industries over time. Uh, but those restaurant and retail uh, industries continue to be our, our largest, uh, you know, areas. Um, obviously, uh, what's happening in travel, um, it's all apparent to us. Uh, you know, that, that what you read out there um, is absolutely true, that that is a, a tough place. But, you know, that's an area we've been, been making a lot of progress up until recently. 
Okay, thanks. That's all very helpful. Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of Chris Shetler with William Blair. Your line is now open. Hey, everyone. Thanks for taking the question. Hope that uh, you're all doing well. Um, first on um, expenses, maybe just if you could give a little bit more detail on um, how you're managing expenses in the current environment. And, you know, just looking at the P&L, it, it looks to me like um, if we exclude the FI share and exclude depreciation and amortization, you're running at about $29 million of Q1 operating expense. Maybe just help us think through how to think about, you know, that number over the course of the remainder of the year um, under different scenarios. Like, is that a good run rate number, or should we expect it to come down? Yeah, so this is Lynn. Let me kind of answer it more from a philosophical standpoint, and then I'll let Andy get into more of the details. But from a philosophical standpoint right now, we see this as a good opportunity to be prudent in how we're spending our money. So we are certainly, you know, not making any unexpected or unwise investments in people or anything else right now. Um, but we also see this as an opportunity, though, to make smart investments, particularly in people and hiring. You know, we are fortunate in that we have a strong balance sheet. We can all work from home. And so we have not really missed a beat in terms of productivity in this company. Um, many others have had to lay off an awful lot of talent. And so we are very much looking at this as an opportunity to you know, get talent that maybe wouldn't have taken our phone calls six or nine months ago um, and to opportunistically fill in where we can. So I would expect that our expenses, while this is still going on, you know, we're going to do a good job of making sure that we are below where, you know, where we've been in the past, but we're not trying to cut costs or save money aggressively just because. We're doing it because it's smart in this time and we're still hiring when we can. So, Andy, I don't yep, know if you yep. add more that. Yeah, and, and really when, when I look at um, the, the, the OPEX trends, right, if you really kind of look at it X um, stock comp, uh, you know, you get somewhere close to about 25. Um, and, you know, certainly as, as Lynn mentioned, there are some, uh, there are some things that, that we are doing that, that you're going to see some natural kind of savings, right, from an incentive compensation, uh, travel and, and marketing has been suspended, those types of things, right? But when I look out into the kind of the near term, you know, we're not doing anything unnatural that would really distort kind of our run rate of OPEX. Um, and, and I think, you know, we're, we're actually trying to, to, to be prudently investing during, during the crisis so that, you know, really you, you may not see a lot of movement um, at all in, in OPEX depending on how, how much things come back, right? One of the difficult things to, to model is the level of incentive of compensation that's going to be following uh, our, our billings performance, right? So you, you kind of have a, a washing of some natural things going on and some uh, and some investments, but I would say by and large we would expect some, some small kind of incremental OPEX growth here in the near, near future. Now that being said, if this goes on for many, many months, if we see a second dip, you know, different conversation. Different but for right now, we are cautiously optimistic that spend is starting to come back in pockets and we will continue to follow the strategy that we just set up. Okay, great. Um, maybe just another one on that, just to put a finer point on it. Can you give us a sense of maybe in 2019, how, how big was incentive comp as a percentage of total OPEX? Um, I don't have that here in front of me, but I, I believe it would be 
probably in the I, I would think in the in the, the high single digits. High single digit percentage. High single digit million. Millions, gotcha. Okay. Um, and then l lastly, just uh, with with your FI partners, just how are they? Uh, is, is there anything different that you're doing with them in the current environment? Um, working more closely with them in any ways? Uh, do you see them doing anything around the uh, uh, plowing more of their FI share into consumer incentives? Doesn't sound like that's the case, but uh, any any more de detail would be great. Well, we're obviously working very closely with all our FI partners, basically to make sure that the content is appropriate for the time. They are um, understandably concerned that they don't want to incentivize people going into stores when it's not safe. And so we've done a lot of work with each individual FI to, you know, comb through the content, make sure that we take out content if it wasn't already sold by the advertiser, take out content where it's for only. Um, we've done a lot of work communicating what stores and locations have, for example, drive-through or pickup options, what stores have online options. So we've gone through and made the program um, tone appropriate for the pandemic, and our banks are actually really quite pleased with the way we've, we've been able to do this. And they're very much positioning it as it's a way for you to save money at a time when you need it the most. Um, we have had one or two banks really lean forward in using us to help them try to identify, for example, healthcare workers or essential workers who may still be spending and to figure out if there's some ways we can, we can help them. It's in the very early stages. Um, but the banks are generally being very supportive partners during this time, understanding that obviously offer content is falling um, and just making sure that what we do have is appropriate. Okay. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of Tim Willie with Wells Fargo. Your line is now open. Hey, thanks, and good afternoon, everybody. Um, a couple of quick questions. Um, one is just going back a little bit to the engagement of the consumer with DFI. Do you have any visibility into how that engagement and logins, et cetera, looks over the last couple of months? I'm just sort of curious if you were seeing consumers, you know, more frequently check for offers. I think, as you just said, Lynn, you know, it's a way to save money in these times. And so I'm just curious if there's anything that you could point to around the consumer and, and the bank and, and that frequency that, that's interesting uh, or worth pointing out over the last couple of months. Yeah, so first of all, we, we're tracking it very carefully. We actually uh, we have two dashboards that we're tracking very carefully. One is the spend dashboard that we discussed earlier, and then there's an engagement dashboard that we're looking at closely to help the banks understand, you know, who is still engaging with the program, who might not be. And the main reason we're doing that is there is a bucket of customers who were engaging that have fallen off, and we have plans now in place with the banks for when the content starts to resume and become really strong, how do we get them back? But importantly, while there's a bucket of consumers that have engaged less because they're just spending less and they're going online less, um, there is a bucket of consumers who are actually going online quite a bit more. Um, and those consumers are engaging, quite frankly, at higher levels than they were before this. So in the end, net-net, engagement is about the same if you look at it across the board, like on a total percentage level, but you've got some who are engaging more, and you've got some, likely those who don't have a job right now, who are engaging less. 
And, you know, again, another place where I'm optimistic, the banks are working with us to say, how do we identify that they've likely gotten their jobs back and remind them that we now have other ways to help them save money when they have money to spend? Um, so I hate to say it's positive because obviously this is a terrible situation, but it has it, the, the trends are very much in the favor of our platform. And what we see and the kind of spend that we drive and the direct benefits that we give to consumers. Okay, great. And then uh, the second question, I guess, just going back to sort of, you know, is the economy quote unquote reopens and, and spending. Do you, <clears throat> it sounds like you expect your marketers and your content providers to be a little bit more, I, I guess, reactionary that once they see evidence that yes, whether it's in the state of Georgia or somewhere else that people are back out spending again, restaurant-wise or other, then they will, I guess, turn back on campaigns? Or do you think that there's some some aspect of your content providers that will utilize Cardlytics as sort of their strategy to be in the front of a consumer's mind when those states reopen, if that makes sense? So again, think about our three-pronged strategy, rise, retain, return. For the rise and retain categories, we are actively working with them now, and they are ahead of the curve. So I'll go to that online grocer um, example that I used. We are sitting down with them every week, and we're saying what states are starting to show, or even DMAs are starting, starting to show signs of recovery, and they have their campaigns in even before the recovery has fully happened. So that the first time the consumer is actually going to say, okay, I'm going to go, you know, do some online grocery shopping or, you know, do some store shopping even, their stuff is there. So for the rise and retain category, they're being very proactive, but it's mainly because the spend has gone to them and they're trying to make sure they retain that spend as everything else recovers. For the return clients, I'm sure it's going to be a bit of both, but for many of the return clients, I think we will, you know, I'm not going to guarantee this, but I'm going to confidently tell you, I think we'll be first back on for many of them. And the first place where they start to spend marketing dollars, when they start to spend marketing dollars, but they are certainly being a little bit more cautious, particularly because they don't want to set a precedent of advertising people to come into stores when it's not yet safe to do so. Um, so it's very different than the rise and return categories where they're much more incenting the online purchases, the delivery purchases, the subscription purchases, you know, et cetera. Excellent. That, 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 that's all I had. Thanks very much. Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of Josh Beck with Key Bank Capital Markets. Your line is now open. Thanks, team, uh, for the question. I'm glad to hear everyone is doing well. Um, you know, I just wanted to ask, a little bit more from the FI side, you know, has there been much of a impact on CX and how they're thinking about, you know, the importance of online banking and also the associated implementation? Obviously, they're reprioritizing things internally quite a bit. So I'm just wondering, have you seen any change in, you know, the importance of your type of solution from the FI point of view? Well, I mean, here, here's what I will point to. The Wells Fargo launch remains on track in the midst of a global pandemic, which I think is fairly telling. 
Um, U.S. Bank, as we announced in the last quarter earnings call, is leaning forward heavily um, and, you know, has very aggressive timelines, which I'm not going to share because I don't know if they'll make them or not, but very aggressive timelines from their perspective. Um, so I think, you know, uh, look, it's, it's a good program. It drives good bank, bank behavior, bank customer behavior, and at a time when people are trying to save money, it's a pay-for-performance channel for marketers. Again, like I said, I hate to say this pandemic is – playing in our favor, but um, it's playing in our favor. Yeah, and, and I think that's certainly consistent, at least, you know, how banks are thinking about the importance of digital uh, with some of the comments we've heard from them uh, on their earnings calls, so, so that makes a lot of sense. Um, and, you know, I think, Lynn, maybe you mentioned it, but uh, you said there were some early signs, and, you know, I realize it's very early of spend coming back. And I'm just wondering if there's any other color you can provide either, you know, within a certain vertical or any other way to, to double-click and, and provide a bit more color on that uh, comment. Yeah, no, sure, happy to. Um, so probably the most tangible example, Georgia is one of the first states that has opened up, and we all happen to live in Georgia, so we are watching that pretty closely. Um, in Georgia, we have seen an uptick in spend in just about every category with the exception of travel. Um, that is still pretty down. Um, but, you know, restaurants reopened a week and a half ago, and we're already seeing it um, noticeable at a scaled level in Georgia in terms of the impact on spend, same with retail. Um, so now we're watching, you know, the impacts in other states as they start to return. But um, like I said, the only place, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, guys, but the only place where we have not started to see signs of it coming back in states that have opened is travel, and it's still pretty down there. Okay, uh, very helpful. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of Aaron Kessler with Raymond James. Your line is now open. Great, thanks. A couple of questions. Um, maybe just first on e-commerce. Obviously, a lot of consumers have shifted more towards e-commerce. Just curious maybe how you benefit from that shift, if the contracts work the same if a consumer purchases on e-commerce versus in store, and are, are any advertisers paused just because they're getting maybe a lot of organic traffic right now? Obviously, grocers uh, would be one example where they're getting more organic traffic and may not need to advertise as much. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, so we, we have had a few advertisers pause because they don't need the traffic right now, um, whether it's a combination of they don't have the supply chain ready in their stores or they just don't have the staff and the people to handle the volume. We have had some advertisers pause because it's too much versus, you know, not enough. Um, but that plays right into our retain strategy, right? right? right. That, that we are seeing, you know, enormous upswells in certain areas, and we're going to be there to to help them retain those customers and, and retain that market share. Yeah. So that, that is definitely one of the one of the three prongs, absolutely. Yeah. And, and you know, e-commerce is a big strength for us, where a lot of our largest advertisers use us. So what we what we have found is that when somebody's a customer of a retail store and also an e-commerce customer, their overall spend with the brand is 2x. And so where we've been doing a lot of work way before the pandemic hit, is how do we make your brick-and-mortar customers, also your e-commerce customers, it's an even more powerful time to be doing that now, and we're out there being very forward-leaning with our, with our advertisers. Got it. And then can you just make a quick comment on for restaurants, maybe the QSRs versus the more dine-in restaurants, maybe differences that you're seeing there? There are. I don't know it off the top of my head. 
Oh, okay. Everybody's telling me QSR is up <laughs> faster than the dine-in restaurant, probably because of the drive-through option. So. Yes, they've all got the dashboard in front of them. I don't have the advantage. Yeah, they're they're down maybe uh, slightly less, but, you know, obviously I think all restaurants in general is, you know, trying to adapt. Got it. Great. Thank you. Thank you. As a reminder to ask a question, you would need to press star than one on your telephone. Our next question comes from the line of Jason Cryer with Craig Alum. Your line is now open. Great. Thanks for taking the questions. Uh, just a question, just, you know, with the consumer side of things a little bit slower right now, are you seeing any opportunities to, like, accelerate the R&D pipeline internally or potentially accelerate things that you do with the financial institutions and get kind of updated platforms pushed out to them quicker than you would have thought? It's a great question. <clears throat> we are doing our best to accelerate our product roadmap. The roadmap itself is, is firm but accelerate the timeline. It is challenging building things, working from home. Um, so we've had to go out and deploy some new tools to help make that happen remotely. Um, those tools are deployed. So what I would say is we are we continue to re- remain very confident that we will, for example, deliver a self-service tool for the back half of Q2. What our ability, or sorry, back half of, of 2020, our ability to accelerate that is, is still being tested, to be very honest with you. I, don't underestimate how hard it is to get 60 developers, you know, all coding together at once virtually. Um, but we're still confident in moving forward as best we can, and we won't fall behind. We just not, we may not just be able to accelerate them. Sure. Fair enough. And obviously, you guys have access to a lot of data. You shared some of that with us last quarter. But, you know, you're seeing some states that never went into sheltering orders, um, other states have already opened things up, and, and you just commented on some of that. But is there any timeline towards those volumes bouncing back that you've seen, whether it be, again, those states that didn't go into sheltering or, uh, like, you know, your home state? Did that open up pretty quickly with spend accelerating, or was there any delay there? I, you know, I mean, I can go off what I know off the top of my head. Like I said, in Georgia – we saw it in less than a week and a half in terms of QSR and restaurant spend starting to pick back up, so it did not take long. Um, other states who never really had a shelter in place, um, their, their, their spend is still pretty significantly. I don't think you see a material difference between them not having a formal shelter and their spend impact. I, I think they were all down pretty equally. It's the recovery, I think, that is going to be very different by state. Okay. And just the last one, um, I know there's obviously uh, there remains a focus in, in bringing in advertisers. Just wondering what those sales cycles are like right now. You know, what are you engaging with those people and, and are you making, you know, productive progress towards agreements or, or is that tough to come by in this kind of an environment? You know, again, it's another place where we're really advantaged. Our clients, even if they're not spending with us, want to talk to us because we have this amazing insight that nobody else on the planet has, which is where are people starting to spend, how can we get in front of it, and how can we get ahead of it. So if our head of sales were on this call, he'd tell you that our phones are ringing as much as they ever were, if not more, with people who want our insights, which is why we're pretty confident that we're going to be first back on for those who have shut off. And for those who haven't, many of those rise and retain customers that I talked about are brand-new customers. 
They weren't spending with us in Q4. I think it's probably fair to say we have more senior relationships, too. Because we're bringing insights to the senior people really trying to get their arms around. That's a great point. That's a great point. We have seniored up a lot of our relationships. So, I don't, you know, again, we were down 50% in April. I want to be clear. But we are really, really optimistic that, you know, things are moving in our favor in a pretty good way. I appreciate the color. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of Matt Schindler with Bank of America. Your line is now open. Yes. Hi. Um, is there any chance you can um, kind of detail and maybe remind us what the breakdown by industry your advertisers fell into uh, kind of, let's say, at the end of 2019? And then as you look at – you're making a lot of comments that travel hasn't returned. Is a way that you can kind of predict where those are going to go in Q2 as, as we hit these uh, – kind of wade through these bottoms? Yeah, thanks. Now, this is Andy. Hey, um, so, yeah, we, we've, we've provided in the past, I think, a little bit of color around retail and restaurant really being our, our largest industries. And, uh, you know, certainly coming into this, we've been making a lot of progress in the travel space. And, and, and we've, we've seen, um, you know, the, the uh, significant declines there and really have not seen any, any material bounce in travel at this point. Um, so that's really obviously hard to predict when, you know, that may come back. But um, you know, th- that, was, that was obviously a little bit smaller industry than, than say, retail and restaurant. And that's, that's about as much, you know, detail on the, uh, the industries that we really have for you. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. This concludes today's question and answer session. I would now like to turn the call back to Scott Grimes for closing remarks. Everybody, first of all, thank you for joining the call today. Um, while it's certainly challenging times, you know, we continue to be super impressed with how our team is operating through all this. And while it feels weird to say it, I think the company's probably in its best position ever and really well positioned to uh, grow. Uh, as I think as most people realize also, this is my last earnings call as CEO. Um, I think it's uh, where it's exciting. It was time for the uh, company to upgrade the talent of its CEO and CFO, and uh, uh, we've done that with Lynn and Andy, and I couldn't imagine the company being in better hands. So um, thank you to everyone who supported us over the past uh, few years, and we're really excited about what's coming over the next few years. So thanks, everybody. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes today's conference call. Thank you for participating. You may now disconnect.